0: I
1: don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
0: Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Robbie Robbie Wheatley. Little reverse pass. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey is away on a well-earned break, so Murray Kinsley here stepping into his positional role, I suppose. We hope he makes it back in one piece to us next week, but I hope he's having a brilliant time. Joined, as always, by Bernard Jackman. Birch, we always ask you in the big weeks where your excitement level is. 1 to 10, where are you on the scale?
0: Highest ever, I think, on this pod, Ooh. 10. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait for the Viva Saturday. I'm, I'm going to be pitch side, uh, so just to see... To see the All Blacks you know, and obviously Ireland down uh, down that close, um, it's a very strong All Blacks team and we'll we talk about that, but yeah, I, I can't wait. Uh, it's going to be epic, I think.
1: Jeez, a 10. That is huge, Kieran Kennedy. We're
2: delighted to have you on, on board today. How are you? Yeah, all good. Um, it's been a bit of a mad week, I suppose, which we'll get stuck into, so nice of gaff to choose a nice, quiet week to take off. But um, yeah, no lots to look forward to. Really excited and looking forward to getting stuck into it all now. Yeah, there's loads of stuff around the Ireland
1: women's game as well that we're going to talk to Neve Briggs about a little bit later on as, as well as the lads. But firstly, Kieran, how outraged are you and offended are you that the All Blacks have been out drinking pints of Guinness before a big Test match?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose if you're looking for you know small signs of hope, Bowden Barrett's had more nights out <laughs> than I have this week, so that's a good starting point. But um, no, yeah, I would, I certainly wouldn't be outraged. Um, it's probably a sign of just a relaxed squad. I th- I think it's good to see them get the opportunity to get out and. See a little bit of the cities that they're spending time in because it has been a long tour from them. They are a long time on the road and away from their families. Um so yeah, I mean like I think it's good. It's a sign probably of a confident and relaxed camp. Um and I don't think it's anything too unusual in rugby either. It's it it it's not like Cristiano Ronaldo going out for pints on Wednesday night. I don't think that happens. I think that'll be a lot more shocking. But um no, yeah, no problem with it. I think you know, fair play to them getting out and enjoy themselves. Yeah, brilliant
1: stuff. Greg Fee can charge their social events as far as I know and, and he did a good job there. Bernard, just to, to reflect back on last weekend and that big, unexpectedly big win over Japan a few days on now. Are you as enthused as excited by what you saw in that performance and, and what about it in particular um, pleased you?
0: I I just I like the fact that the team had the structure to play heads-up rugby and, and what I've been critical of um, or sceptical of is this whole... Talk at the start since my cat came in uh, post World Cup about heads up rugby and offloading game without seeing um, any of the real tools to make it easy for players to do it, and obviously one you know, part of that was personnel um, based. And obviously, I think our personnel have we're in a really good place now in terms of personnel to be able to play that um, high tempo, you know, intelligent, um, good ball player uh, profile that we that we now have. And secondly, we're much more, de- more detailed on our on our structure in terms of that one three two two shape that we're we're falling into. Um, there's been a marked improvement in, in our strike plays in terms of the the accuracy and intelligence in those in terms of targeting weakness in the opposition. So it's all kind of coming together, and that leads to offloading and heads up rugby. What was really frustrating me was. Everybody just expected it to happen, um, and without understanding that there's 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 a process to it, which sounds boring or whatever. We don't want to, we don't want to think about actually having to learn how to do it, um. But I think we did, and in fairness, I have to say, I was skeptical. I I was starting to to question it, question whether we had the the, the coaching set up to do it. But any of the players who were in camp, and uh, that I spoke to, kept telling me camp is great, and it wasn't just great. Like some of these guys you know they they enjoy a good camp in terms of the environment but they also are ruthlessly chasing uh, wins, and they know that you have to have a good balance so credit to them it looked on uh, on saturday and even though we might never be able to dominate a team like we did against japan i think if you're doing the right things over and over again in games um you'll have that opportunity for a mismatch or an offload or or a bigger guy run over a smaller guy that can make the difference between winning and losing. And, you know, I even look back at France over the last two years. Like, France, everyone talks about French flair, etc. But a lot of what France do is the mundane stuff you do in a test match. And then they obviously open up the opportunities for a Jalibert or an Intimac or a DuPont to do something special. And that's what we remember. And we think that France are throwing the ball around willy-nilly. They aren't. They aren't at all. But I do believe kind of what we saw last Saturday will give us hope to have some really enjoyable and match-winning moments through our attack.
1: Kieran, you you've been around the squad speaking to Andy Farrell the the players this week what's the sense from them is this what we're going to see moving forward every time from Ireland now or is there a a realism and maybe in in the camp?
2: Yeah it's been interesting I think there's a little bit of a sense of you know we told you so to a degree that, you know, they felt that they were working towards something, you know, really promising in terms of their attack. And when they weren't firing and were getting criticism during the Six Nations, they were saying, look, there's something there. Andy's got a plan. It didn't go our way today or whatever. But, you know, we're we're putting the pieces in place. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Andy Farrell obviously went a bit Pep Guardiola after Japan and said it was actually the defence that was really pleasing. And some of the players have kind of repeated that this week. Um, Andrew Conway was really interested in talking about the fact that, yeah, I scored three tries, but... I'm actually more pleased with some of the stuff that you wouldn't notice unless you were in camp and really knew what you were looking for. And I suppose that attitude is, you know, you've got to say, that's a sign of good coaching. Players are thinking of the bigger picture. And they're thinking of their contributions when they don't have the ball. So I think there's a bit of a balance there. It was great to see them show off loads. It was great to see them play that heads-up rugby and, you know, take risks and try things. But I think they're also aware themselves that Japan offered them a lot of avenues into the game. They won't always have it that easy. And it's, you know, it's other things that have gone too Define their performances Against bigger teams Going forward
1: mm. And this is what This is the, the biggest team In the game Bernard. We're going to start By having a look At the All Blacks Because this is As big a challenge as, as you get Obviously they've been Touring a long time But they've named Their team and I'll just run through quickly. Joe Moody, Cody Taylor, Nepo Laulala in the front row. Brody Ratalik and Sam Whitlock, the captain in the second row. Incredibly strong. Ethan Blackadder is one of the newer faces with Dalton Papali and Ardy Savay in the back row. TJ Perinar and Bowden Barrett in the halfbacks. Then the back line is Anton Leonard-Brown, Rico Ioanni in the centre. Severis, Will Jordan, Jordy Barrett in the back three. And then the, the bench, as always, is loaded. What have you made of them this year, Birch? They're still rated number one. Andy Farrell says they're, they're the best. Are they as strong as ever?
0: Yeah, I think... Uh, look i think they're tired at the moment um, and and that certainly increases our chance of um of of getting getting a a, a winner or, or being very competitive against them but they have uh, you know they have the luxury of having to be able to blood new players on this on this autumn tour for them which is um which is always the time that they they start to bring through some some new stars and those players that they have brought in the likes of Blackadder and Papali etc um, have stepped up and looked to be you know very comfortable at, at test level. Um, having said that, I also think this is the this this in France next week are the, are the big two games for them on the on the tour. Unfortunately, Wales were were, were hampered by injuries and and our player unavailability. So this is a big test for them, and we can see that they've recognised that in terms of their their selection. So. Yeah, they're still the best in the world um, in terms of their ability to play. South Africa would argue they're the best in the world in terms of being able to um, to win to win you know to win a World Cup or win important British and Irish Lions series etc. or win knockout games. But I think the reason we all love New Zealand is they have a really good balance between being able to uh, bully you, uh, bring physicality, uh, but also if you stand off to them and give them time and space, their attacking game is is beautiful to watch which is probably something South Africa are trying to to get towards but they're probably more lopsided. I don't know if you saw if you saw Wales, South Africa last week, South Africa got in trouble. And they went back to the tried and tested, you know, Scrum Mall, which is perfect if you have that um that weapon. But New Zealand are probably a better all all around balanced side and um yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really fascinating to see because both teams have changed defensively or sorry look better defensively than they have, um, particularly in this autumn tour, New Zealand are fending a lot more aggressively on the outside than they did in the rugby championship. Um, Ireland, in fairness, you know it was a very impressive defensive performance when you look back on it. We were all blown away by the attack, but I agree with Andy Farrell. Like the things that Japan want, uh, the possession, the source of possession that Japan want, you know we starved them of that, and we starved them of time and space, and that was true. Some really impressive uh, work rates, some really good communication, some good reads, etc. And you're going to have to do that again this week because more, you know, it's highly likely we'd have the same um, quantity of possession that we had last week. You know, I know against in Chicago we had a lot of ball, but they were missing, you know, I think their first three locks. yeah, you know, I would fancy them to have decent line-out possession this week, good off kickoffs, um, and you know, pretty good in the air. So it'll probably be. 50-50 split in terms of possession so we're going to have to defend more against probably a team who are have better better individuals let's be honest um, and that's, that's, that's a concern but we did look like we were on the right track defensively last weekend mm.
1: And you've been sending me clips this week, Birch which I've, as always I've in- enjoyed and you're doing your analysis on the All Blacks Like, How does that game plan look in terms of what Ireland do when they do have that uh, amount of possession that's not going to be as much as against Japan but, but what do they need to do well here?
0: Yeah, I well, I, I actually flip it the other way. I'll, th- I'll start with what the All Blacks do and what they did. Going back to the British and Irish Lions uh, test series in New Zealand, which is a long time ago now, but it was the first time the All Blacks adapted to what they call, you know, the the Sean Edwards blitz defense. Um, and and I know Farrell, uh, Farrell with Ireland hasn't been as aggressive, but when Farrell was with the Lions with Gatland, um, they implemented a a, a a rush defense on the outside, and what the All Blacks did. That, that test series was they played what's a, a zigzag pattern. So they, they never really go more than two passes. Um, so they bounce back. So they go right, left, right, left, right, left um, until the defence holds and until they they, they they kill that line speed. And then also they have this call that I, I picked up on the ref mic um, where the 9 or 10 calls bully. And then they go into a series of pick and goes. But they're not pick and goes like we would see five yards out from Exeter where it's patient. you know They build their structure. It's usually three or four really fast, dynamic pick and goes where maybe they send a winger in or 12 in and they just get that go forward and, and they batter you. Their breakdown work is, is physical. Again, it sucks in that defence, but it's not just sucking in the defence. It's actually laying down a marker physically and they've done that in, 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 in on this tour in North, in North Hemisphere. And I think when they saw Ireland's rushish defence against Japan Again, they'll say, "Right, we're away from home. We're going to the Viva. We're going to quite in the crowd. We're going to lay down a marker physically." And, and that's the thing about the All Blacks. We 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 sometimes forget how hard they are and how nasty they can be. Um, and they they don't often overstep the the law, the laws or the rules. But they they play on the edge at all times. And um, that's a that's a fair That's a something that we have to be able to counteract. And uh, I think we have the power now with like supporter. Doris, um, you know, Kelleher, Tyke Furlong, etc., to be able to meet them around the fringes there and not give up too many soft yards. Um and then the other thing I picked up on was just, you know, Wales naively or part of their plan was, you know, to, to kick long and on. And um as Wales like to have a high ball and playtime. And if you kick long to them, you know, they're very good at getting back into the backfield quickly. So often the catcher will have at least three, if not four players who've sprinted back to give them an option to counter-attack. And then I've just picked out some t- some clips of, of their forwards running um, escort lines in the, in the back line the midfield, but with a really subtle, they, they call it turnstile, where they put their hand up if they feel they can manipulate a defender in the kick chase, and then the ball carry will run towards that, that player. And at the last moment, they'll just put their hands up and do a little turn of their body, which can sometimes just... Put a defender off balance and uh, for a split second, and that's all they need. So, um, and in fairness to Wales, the first half they dealt with it, but as they got tired, um, you know, they, there was two line breaks. One led to a try from from Will Jordan. So just some, yeah, some real subtleties in their game. That look at Faz and, and Easterby would have seen the challenge is in the 55th or 65th minutes to be able to be in a good enough place mentally. To execute your defensive strategy, so that's um it, yeah that's just a small part of what we're going to see, but it, it could be an important part.
1: It's a pretty thorough preview. Though, can't wait to see your stuff pre match as well. Kieran, like the the selection on, on the all Black side was always going to be incredibly strong. They did have a big call to make at out half though. Like Richie Monga has been incredible, sensational over the last couple of years, really. And we know Bowden Barrett is a two time World Player of the Year winner. He he gets the nod. Bowden Barrett, a guy who hit... Like Johnny Sexton, 100 caps recently, but he's six years younger than him. I know you've been looking at at his career and, and what he's done in the game because he debuted when 2012 wasn't against Ireland. I mean, what he's achieved since in,
2: in a shorter space of time than Sexton is is really remarkable. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's an outstanding player in an absolutely outstanding team and to get to 100 caps with some of the competition he's had in that back line and like I said, I've been kind of having a bit of a look at his previous games against Ireland over the past week and... He's kind of feel like he's filled in at wing before. He's he's played at full-back, he's played at out half, and he's always had an impact on the game. And even if you look at the games that Ireland have won, he's still managed to you know beat defenders and throw some offloads and break the line, and he's always been a threat, even when New Zealand maybe haven't been at their absolute best against Ireland. It, it was a bit of a tight call, I suppose, at Munga, and I, the thing that people kind of say goes in Munga's favour is, you know, he's maybe a better from the tee than Barrett is, but... Like, Barrett, I, he's a, he's an absolute game-changer, Um, the quality he has, and I think that's one of the things with the New Zealand team, like, there were a few selection calls there where, you know, they maybe could have gone with one player over another, but, I mean, I've, I've always thought that in a Six Nations, say, maybe when you're looking at an England or a France, there's different aspects each year where you look at how they're going to threaten Ireland or, you know, where the attack's going to come from or what their strengths are that year with New Zealand you kind of always know what you're going to get as Birch t- touched on I mean the forwards are absolutely fearsome they'll you know push things to the limit sometimes maybe not as much as when Kieran Reid was there and um but you know they're 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 aggressive they're in your face their intensity is just you know off the charts and then in the back line they've got players all over the back line who can you know break the line throw off loads you know if Barrett's not firing you know the wings can do it and Barrett is you know he's as good as a wing for them in terms of the tries he gets and the intercepts he gets and you know, the threat he provides from there. So I think that's one of the interesting things in New Zealand. You always know what they're going to bring. You always know how they're going to approach the game to a degree. But, you know, knowing that's coming and stopping it is one thing. And Johnny Sexton was talking about his first encounter against the All Blacks during the week. And he was saying, you "No, know, the thing that shocked him was just the kind of pressure and the intensity of the game. There's a lot of Ireland players who haven't played New Zealand before and, or any Southern Hemisphere opposition before. Like Hugo Keenan has been great at full this is a new challenge for him somebody like Andrew Conway has never played New Zealand even though he's you know more experienced as has Jack Conan, he's never played New Zealand Ronan Kelleher has never played New Zealand Caelan Doris was you know he's played them at under 20s level and lost by 66 points so it's one thing to know this is coming but it's going to be a very different experience for the players on Saturday and I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Mm,
1: great point on, on that. We, we got a question, Birch, on the tactical point of view. It was from Kevin Finley from the, the members WhatsApp group. And if people want to get in there, it's members.the42.ie to join up. Loads of other benefits. But Kevin asks about the offloading game from, from Ireland's point of view as in how the All Blacks are going to defend against them, which is a, a flip of, of what we've seen in the past. He says, will the All Blacks resource men to disrupt and counter the rocks, or will they double up at tackle time to restrict the offload? I think it's hard to do both from a numbers point of view. What's your sense of that?
0: Um, I actually think they'll, they'll try and do both. So when they can get double hits, um, they, they'll they make those. And then when they get single hits, I think the inside defender will go in and, and try and disrupt that ball and slow it down. They they certainly won't want to give um, Ireland... Now New Zealand's ball last weekend. New Zealand had the quickest ruck speed in, in uh, of all the, the internationals. And in Ireland were second. Um, now, New Zealand are playing Italy. Um, but that's where the battle is going to be. Are we able to get... Fast ball against them, um, and you know. Secondly, are we able to slow them down? I think if we let them have quick ball, even even though our defense looked really organized, I think we'll get caught. They have the skill set to, to exploit you. You know, so some of the hits we saw Gary Ringrose make last week, um, when we were down numbers, you know, I would say, you know, uh, the all the All Black player there would chop his feet, get a little bit deeper, and get that ball around you, and then then everybody is. Is backtracking and it's very difficult to recover against them. Um, and also, their support play is so good. Sometimes they don't need to create that second rook. They're able to uh, play on their feet. And, and uh, the Sarah Reese trial in Cardiff was just—you know—it was just an example of their ability to be unorthodox in their in their passing skills, um, their their speed to get back up off the ground. I was speaking to Mike Prendergast. Uh, he showed he, he showed that clip to to backs on on a Monday morning and saying, "Look at." You know he gets three touches in, in 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 six seconds here and and that's the that's the that's the difference so that's the challenge but like look at Ireland have to be brave we, we can't go up and out against them because he'd end up just corner flagging for, for the whole game as well so uh, but I do think it's going to come down to the, to the breakdown and and ordinarily most teams they either put two men hit two men tackles in or to try and slow the rook down. I think if you look at New Zealand rugby, they they really uh, create an environment where players make decisions all the time, and I think defensively they'll allow them to make those decisions and adapt to to what's happening in front of you, and um, and so I would expect them to have a little bit of variety in that.
1: Absolutely, the defensive challenges across the board are going to be really interesting, uh, Kieran, and we we spoke about it after the game last weekend that James Lowe looked brilliant going forward, obviously, and and we knew he could add that, and indeed his his role was expanded. He got so many touch on the on the ball, but Callum in the members WhatsApp group asks. What are James Lowe's key performance indicators for a successful outing this weekend? Because it probably is gonna look a little bit different.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a totally different challenge for him. Um he was obviously he was great on Saturday. It was great to see how involved he was around the pitch, the amount of touches he got, you know, there was times where he hugged the touchline, there was times where he was popping up in the middle. I mean, they the game suited him as well. The game suited him as well. But This is a totally different challenge. He wasn't tested defensively against Japan, and that's been the big question mark about James Lowe going back to the Six Nations last year. Now we've nothing to base, we've nothing to say that you know he's improved in that area because he hasn't been tested this season. Really, you would say defensively. Looking at last week, he looked a better attacker, I thought, than during the Six Nations. He made better decisions. He managed the game better. So you would have to say that that's down to good coaching, and he's been told to go away and work on a few things and come back better. I suppose. With that in mind, I suppose going into this weekend, you probably have to give the benefit of the doubt that they've spent a lot of time working on his defensive side of the game. And you just hope that, you know, when he gets asked those questions, he steps up and provides the answers. Um it's it's a really hard one to it's a really hard one to call because some of his decision making last year, you know, as he would admit himself, was terrible and cost Ireland in big games. And New Zealand are a team that don't need too many invitations to take advantage of, you know, gaps in your backline or if there's a short side somewhere that they can exploit. I think the key thing for him this weekend is decision making and I think that goes across the team in general. What New Zealand want to do is put you under pressure and force you to make bad decisions. That's why they score so many intercept tries, I guess. They're going to be intense, they're going to be in your face, and you know, you need to be absolutely switched in and clued in for 80 minutes. And again, I go back to Andrew Conway. He was talking about the importance of being kind of vocal in these games and, you know, making the player beside you feel good. There needs to be good communication. They need to know, you know, where they're set up as a team. Where the gaps are that they've got players covered because it doesn't take long for, you know, New Zealand to, as Johnny Sexton said again, they they might need the ball for ten or fifteen minutes and then they're under your posts. You you only need to slip off for a second and then they take advantage. So I think that's the big thing for him this weekend: just concentration, you know, staying clued in and trying to read the game. I suppose mm. the All Blacks can they can win a game in a flurry of five minutes, really,
1: Bernard. I suppose. Where are you with James Lowe? Like he he had so many touches on the ball. He had such an influence, such an impact. Are you excited about that, or are you nervous? What what the All Blacks might pick out? Yeah,
0: I I'm I'm really excited by him. I think um he was much better. I've liked I've liked um how he how he's playing for Leinster um and he has a real free reign in Leinster uh, where they they get boat wingers together for um for a period and they stay together and, and um particularly against Glasgow I picked out some clips of, of him and Adam Byrne uh, working in unison and he has a license to to go now. The only challenge with Leinster is is that or sorry, the reason that works better for Leinster is that their their ball retention is very good. So, you know, they don't lose the ball as, as often as other teams. So he he doesn't have to f- scoot back to to his position to to defend um, on the, on the left wing as such. Um, likewise, you know, the reason he was in at fullback a lot was for when we were receiving kickoffs. He's our left-footed exit option. So, um, if the ball was was okay, which it was against Japan. And we were catching on the right hand side, which is where they kicked most of their kicks. You know, um we went we went through a pot of three out the back to Sexton. And then he was either a run kick option. And because, of, because our lines were decent on that pot of three, um Japan bit in, which is pretty pretty naive on that outside forward, and suddenly it all opened up for him and he was gone. But more than likely against the Allbacks, you know, he'll he won't have that space, so he'll have to kick it. Now in that situation, Hugo Keenan is then on the left wing because he's taking the full-back position. So he might not have to spend that much time on the left wing defending. Now, the question mark I would have is is off set-piece D. Um, I think he lacks a yard of pace up against, you know, someone like Will Jordan. And that's, I think, he knows that. And sometimes that's why he, he tries to bite in to shut it down. And if he doesn't get his timing right, obviously he gets exploited. So that's the... You know, I, I think that's half the issue. Is he knows against the top top wingers, he can't use a touchline um, as as say an Andrew Conway could or 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 Jacob Stockdale or someone with real you know top end pace. So it's going to be fascinating to see offset piece can can the All Blacks target him. Um, but I, as I said, I think in open play, he won't necessarily be on the left wing as much as as we might have expected because um, he is roaming and I think Keenan will spot in there now. The problem with that is, is that the All Blacks will then look to exploit James Lowe in the backfield. Um and it was interesting, and I hope I'm wrong on this, but when I, I I clipped every James Lowe moment for against the head, and when I went back through it all, all the highlights were in the first half. Okay? And I know Ireland had less possession in the second half um, and the game kind of broke up a little bit. But I still wonder. I still wonder about his fitness for for eighty minutes in a really high intensity test match. Even though you know, Fireless said he's he's got fitter. He's lost a few kilos, etc. Absolutely, there's so much positive to work with there. But I think until he plays against a team like the All Blacks and looks comfortable defensively, and it's a sustained effort, we have to ha- ask those questions. But I'm look look again. Like I think a, a James Lowe who can who can um defend. Uh, you know, like an international winger, is an unbelievable asset for Ireland. So it's definitely worth checking out.
1: Mm. Loads of interesting questions actually from the members this week. As as always, here's one for you from a coaching point of view, Birch. It's from Kieran Parker, and he says, "What do you think is behind the retention of proven veterans like Peter O'Mani and Keith Earls in the squad in f- in favour of giving younger, developing international players experience of playing test?"
0: I think um, Farrell trust them. Uh, he has empowered the leadership group. Uh, those guys are obviously influential in the in the squad, um, but I do think the pressure's on. I think there's question marks there about you know how long can that experience or leadership be good enough to keep keep you in the team unless if you're not performing at your best. Now I can absolutely see with 20 minutes to go, the game is in the uh, in the balance. To be able to bring on a Keith Earls or, or a Peter Manny you know they're not going to get spooked by the occasion, and you're going to get something out of them. the The challenge is. Is week to week, and and I think not having that pre-game before Wales, um, probably, you know, we you know the selection is going to be very similar to the Welsh selection or is very similar to the Welsh selection. So, i sorry, the Japanese selection. So he he literally had to go with the team against Japan. They thought he was going to go with against the All backs to have that cohesion, etc. So, I would give him a freebie on that. I think Argentina, no matter what happens Saturday, we need to to develop you know some more depth, and then obviously in the Six Nations. um, if they're, if, if they're behind other players on form, well then the question has to be to be asked, you know, how long can you stick with them?
1: Mm, absolutely. Since we're on a run with the questions, I'm, I'm going to throw another one at you, Kieran. This is from Michael Halpany, again, a member of the 42 in the WhatsApp group, and and he actually emailed this one in. He's always got loads of interesting thoughts, but he was asking about, you know, mention of Sexton kind of challenging Brian O'Driscoll back in the day when Brian O'Driscoll felt he actually needed to be challenged within the groups. And he asks, it seems from the outside that Sexton is at least as dominant a character as O'Driscoll was. So I'm wondering if there's anyone challenging Johnny in that
2: way in the Leinster and Ireland environments. What do you think of that? I wouldn't think there's anybody challenging him in that sense of being, you know, extremely vocal and that kind of in-your-face type character. And I think part of that is down to how much professional rugby players have probably changed in the last 10 years. It's obviously something Stuart Lancaster has touched on before about, you know, players are he found players in Leinster to just be a bit more quiet and a bit more reserved... I don't think there's anybody shouting at Johnny and, you know, putting him under pressure in that regard. But I think what people need to do to put Johnny under pressure, I suppose, is challenge him with performances. I mean, he can be a dominant character in terms of his personality, but that's not why he's starting at 10 for Ireland still and is the captain. It's because he's performing, you know, to an extremely high level and is the best out half in the country still. If, you know, a Joey Carberry starts really banging on the door by, you know, lighten it up at Munster and if Harry Byrne starts taking his chances at Leinster, it becomes a different conversation. Um like and and we've seen with Leinster previously that if a player like Harry Byrne starts taking their chances, they won't exactly be slow to, you know, stick Johnny on the bench and give Harry Byrne his chances. They they've always invested in young players and they'll continue to do that. So I think it's more about performances when it comes to challenging Johnny rather than being, you know, a big personality because being a big personality isn't enough to get you in the team. It's down to going out there and doing it on the pitch and as we saw against Japan last weekend like John he's still delivering and he's you know he's still such a leader for the team on the pitch and that's far more important than anything to a personality I think
0: Yeah just just on that Murray like there's there's no one need to challenge Johnny Se- like the challenge in, in the old fashioned you know hold him to account or or or, or shout or, or whatever maybe I'm reading it wrong but he you don't need to do that with him because he, his his drive and his work rate etc. Is, is beyond question but what you can be sure is that Johnny likes to challenge himself and likes people to challenge him in in terms of his train of thought. You know, so, you know, why are we we attacking like this? Why are we defending like this? Why are we kicking restarts there? And he's constantly challenging himself to try and find a better solution. So, and I think that's why he's still around because mentally – he hasn't lost any of the the drive or or search to be better because he's still fascinated by the game and he wants to he wants to play the perfect game. So like and and in fairness, like Felipe, um, you know Stuart, Leo, they all they all ask him and, and say to him, "Is that not a better way of doing things?" And he's very like he's he's not aggressive in those conversations at all. He's actually you know he's a deep thinker and. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't worry about that uh, point of view at all. And I think you saw the way the team celebrated with him. He's he's much loved by anyone who plays with him, much more so than the opposition, obviously. Um, he's hated by opposition, but that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens with him over, over the next couple of years, as we've discussed before. And indeed, that was a point raised again this week by Ron O'Gara. So I'm saying, you know, Ireland are stars at getting it right between World Cup cycles. And that's something that is very much up for debate at the moment, Bernard, because, you know, these are... Test matches—they're big deals. Obviously, they're players' huge occasions, but they're not competition fixtures. And I suppose they're the things you need to focus on developing towards. Do you have that same concern as as Ron O'Gara has that maybe our understars stars two years out from World Cup but not at the World Cup?
0: Well, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how Ronan meant it to be honest. Um, I agree with him that we we are usually very good in the middle of World Cup cycles, but I don't know if it's by plan. To be honest, I think it's because we tend to just play for the here and now, and other teams. Um, do target you know, World Cups in a in a in a clearer way. So I don't I don't, I don't think it's down to our, our strategy. I think it's just we we tend to be stuck in a rut of of it's just just about now. It's just about the next Six Nations um, and it's just about playing the most experienced players. And we are slow to to bring through other players. And there is a risk with that. And I think I think you look at you know Pivac. Pivac came in. Um, and I do know Wales haven't been great in November, but. His first Six Nations was, was very, very tough as he changed the style of play and, you know, changed players. And then he they won a Grand Slam in, in, in year two. But he was building towards, you know, four years' time if he if he stayed in the job long enough. And the same with Galtier, you know. And I think that was probably... This World Cup cycle, I think the issue was that Faz was part of 2019. And because he was part of it, it's much harder to come in and say, give me time. Um, I'm going to put my own stamp on things. So... We kind of ended up his first year. Uh, okay, they tried to develop the game plan, but it wasn't really clear to see how that was unfolding. Plus, it was very much the same players. Now, look at based on Japan and based on England at the end of Six Nations, it looks like you know that that that's worked. The guys he stuck by are still good enough to be successful dom- are to be successful international level. But again, if we fail at the World Cup have we missed the opportunity to do you know, what Eddie Jones did or what Gatlin did pre-Japan?
1: Mm, it is going to be fascinating to see how it pans out. Listen, this week uh, as well, Ciarán, was all about Ireland women's rugby and not for the right reasons, really more, I suppose, turmoil off the pitch. Anthony Eddy, the director of women's and sevens rugby, did a, a briefing on Monday and, and his words really haven't gone down well. And, and even as we speak, there's tweets coming out from players lending their support to Cleanna um, Maloney, who who called it slurry spreading and we're going to talk to Neve Briggs about this very shortly but from a from a media point of view Kieran like this just seems to roll on from disaster to disaster in terms of the PR side of things and and how the game is perceived but also now we're seeing this voice come from within the camp which certainly is is you would imagine is going to be more powerful
2: yeah absolutely um i mean you mentioned the kind of PR side of things and first of all like we shouldn't really be talking about this on given the week that's in it the timing of Antonietti's interview on Monday was a bit strange, really, with you know, with everything that's going on this week. like You've got the Ireland women playing a home game at the RDS for the first time. You've got the All Blacks coming to Dublin on Saturday, and you've got Ireland playing Portugal tonight. and The first two sold-out games in the Aviva since, you know, God, 18 months or whatever. And yet still, I saw that you tweeted earlier, like, the most read articles on our site last night were about the women's rugby team and they were negative stories really like not only did he go out and you know no matter what he said on Monday it was going to shift the focus onto the World Cup and kind of what went wrong and what the IRFU were doing but the fact that he went out and then just kind of unloaded a couple of rounds into his own foot really didn't help matters I don't I don't think any of the questions he got asked on Monday would have be really been a surprise to him so I think that's what made some of his answers kind of more jarring I suppose and I I know you were on the um, press conference with Keira Griffin earlier today. I was on the conference yesterday with Amy Lee Murphy-Crowe and Nicola Friday, and there was a part of me that actually kind of felt a bit bad for him because I was like, they shouldn't be, you know, Amy Lee Murphy-Crowe was five caps, I think. She made her debut earlier this year in 15s rugby, and she's fielding questions about, you know, Anthony Eddy and his kind of plans for the women's game and where the women's game is in Ireland. And it's a really difficult situation, I think, he's put the squad in. um. I His comments were obviously, you know, really kind of disheartening to read. Um, it had kind of echoes of David Nusifora after the 2019 World Cup and kind of pushing the blame onto the players, more or less. And, you know, it's it's well and good to say that there's a review happening and they're looking into it, but, you know, whether anybody sees what happens in that review or what actually happens as a result of that review is another thing. The players yesterday didn't seem to know when they'd be offering their own opinions in that review and the whole yeah the whole thing is just a mess and I think it's actually a bit sad that we're talking about it this week and it's become such a big talking point but the other side of that is which the players pointed out yesterday at least it shows people care and the fact that people are getting angry shows that you know there is the support there people do want to see this change people do want to see it improve what did you make of Anthony Eddy's interview Bernard?
0: yeah look at I think it showed why we don't hear very much from him Um, and that uh, like you know it was a disaster and and I, and I, I think I think the RFU are usually more reactive to PR and negative PR than they are to poor results. That's my experience of it, um, as since I've become a pundit. Um, and it's just an absolute. It just goes from worse to worse. And uh, yeah, it's it's hard to un, it's hard to understand or it's hard to it's hard to to know why. And I am got to put this on the committee. I think the committee who are represented, um, who are representing Irish rugby, they need to to stand up now and, and actually demand some immediate answers uh because i don't know whether they they believe you know the review process it, it works for irish rugby it certainly doesn't look to be working for for the women's game obviously we had one after the home world cup and there has been a, a continuous decline in our in our success and and more and more negative stories um and again like you know uh, if your daughter was was thinking about playing rugby, you know, and and you're you're tuned into to what's happening in 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 rugby this week and in, in women's rugby, would you would you send her to a club or uh, to play? I I just think it's it's incredible, it's incredible that we've let it get this bad. But all the committee p- people who are going to the match in in Lansdowne or in the Viva on, on Saturday and they're having a the pre match meal and every think everything is rosy, you know, you have responsibility to ask the right questions. And don't just give us this, it's being reviewed, you know. Uh, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It just kicks for touch, kicks for touch. And as you kick for touch and delay things, there's money being spent on a review, okay. And if you actually ask the people who are running the game what they've done, um, you'd get an answer pretty quick. Or if you ask the, the people involved in playing in it. Um, and, and it's not resource. I feel so bad for their review in terms of they have put a lot of money into the game. But at the moment, we're at a crisis point in women's rugby. We're at a crisis point in referees in Ireland. Um, we're at a crisis point uh, um, in uh, in coach in coach development. The amount of coaches out there begging for help to develop as coaches, and there's very little on offer. There's three fundamental areas, and I know the committee have hired people to do the job, but it's, the responsibility goes back to the committee. So I, I that that's that, I've you know, I've spoken about this for the last five or six months, Murray, uh, longer actually since since February probably, and you know. I, I haven't ever called out the committee before, but I just think, at the end of the day, they're the guardians of the game. And are they happy walking into the Viva? It's going to be a great day with what's going on this week. On the back of what's gone on for the last uh, seven or eight months and for for some of our players or women's players to have to go in front of the press and be as uncomfortable as they were this week because of a statement by the head of performance for the, for the women's game, it, it just doesn't make sense. It, it's If the FAI did it, we'd all be sneering. And uh, and it's, it's not a once-off. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. And I actually, you know, the biggest issue I think is is with women's game is that, you know, Anthony Eddy said it won't happen overnight. You know, he's been in the position seven years. Um, and I actually, I, I, I read an, an interview with uh, James Dyson this week, um, who obviously developed the Hoover, and it took them 5,126 attempts to get the, the right Hoover, right? But the motto was, fail fast. Okay. So try something. Okay, try something. Um if, it, if it's not gonna work, stop and, and try again. What have we actually done in seven years, bar sevens, um, to to help the fifteens game? Uh, and have we tried have we tried many things? I haven't seen a huge amount of things being tried. Um I'm just blaming blaming the system and saying it's go, it won't happen overnight. Um what have you tried and uh, and why hasn't it worked and what, what, what are you going to try next that's the that, that's what I feel about it mm.
1: well we caught up with with Ireland legend Neil Briggs who's now the head coach of UL Bowes a little bit earlier to chat about all this and she had some interesting thoughts on, on this whole
2: topic yes, it
0: is Ireland
2: are the Grand Slam Champions uh, it wasn't pretty but it was committed and it was courageous and it is wonderful day for irish women's rugby winners to 2013 i'll take it any day of the week
1: well neve thanks a million for joining us a very strange week in irish women's rugby how are you feeling here on on thursday afternoon uh, after all the words that have been spoken so far
3: yeah it's obviously frustrating that in another big week of women's rugby we're speaking about off the pitch stuff as opposed to what's on it and look i'm incredibly disappointed uh with everything that's going on to be fair um and it's mad to think that it's thursday and there's a test match tomorrow and you know there's very little spoken about that and and you kind of feel almost sorry for the players in a way because they can't you know they're trying to deal with this and and not use it as a distraction and um and prepare this is an actual international test. Um, so, yeah, frustrating and disappointed, I think, are probably the two emotions that sum up the best.
1: We are going to talk about the match, of course, but we, we've got to talk about what has been said. Anthony Eddy did his interview on Monday. Um, I'm sure people have seen lots of the comments. If not, they're they're in full on the 42 if you want to check them out. What did you make of that interview, Neve? What stood out to you about what Anthony Eddie said and, and how did you feel reading those comments? Yeah, I was
3: disappointed, I think, Definitely in, in terms of the language that was used, I think, and he um, kind of came across a little bit clumsy in terms of um, how he spoke and what he spoke about and um, to, to speak, you know, and, and there are some parts that are probably right, but they've got lost in all of this, um, in, in, in the whole piece, if that makes sense. I definitely do think... Um, as players, they underperformed um, in Italy, but then you got to flip that around and think, well, why do they underperform? And you've got to look at the hard questions and be really honest with yourself. I was a little bit disappointed when he spoke, you know, asked about the interpros and said he didn't know much about it. Um, yeah, that that kind of I think it, when you're a director of, rugby, of women's rugby in the country, you've got to kind of be able to keep your hands in all the pots. Um, and I and I, I'm not for one second, you know. I understand that there's a huge remit. And and I think that that's definitely a question that has to be posed going forward. Sevens and 15s um, are two hugely different games. They're also, one is very much based in around Ireland and growing the 15s game, but one is based around the world. And, I just think it's it's a very difficult job for one person to do. And I wonder is that a way that, you know, this review, maybe that's might something that might come out of it. That is it a case that they should be split and and you look to bring in somebody else to either take over one or the other. Um so yeah, look, I think that 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 that, that that review, I think, will tell a lot. Um, Amanda Bennett's really good, you know, very intelligent woman that's come over. I also like the fact that she's independent, um, and it seems to be chatting to people that it's it's gone across a wide-ranging um probably number of of items, and also it's it's reached out to a huge amount of players um that are currently playing. So um I, I look forward to that, and, and I look forward to transparency on that, you know. I think um obviously Anthony said during the week that parts of it will be made public. I've heard from others in the RFU that it will be made public. And, and so I'd rather objectively look at that as a whole and, and think about that as a whole, once we have all those answers, I just think for now, the week of a test match, you know, you've got to be looking at building and trying to probably put some of the disappointment and, um, of Italy behind you when realistically we're not we're kind of still in the same space and I think that that's probably the most disappointing thing
1: it must be really difficult for the players Kira Griffin did her press conference earlier on generally that captain's run presser is all about the game but this was all about what has been said and she expressed her and the squad's disappointment at Eddie's comments she said that he had apologised if they caused offence she insisted that there's no split in the camp and that everyone is 100% behind Cleena Maloney who obviously came out on Twitter and 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 said that Anthony Eddy was spreading slurry. I think the the comment was, how tricky do you think it is in that camp right now, given what's going on, given those questions Kira Griffin is getting on the eve of match.
3: Yeah, look, I think first of all, I thought Kira was brilliant. I, I read all her pieces from her interview. I thought to be able to come out and to be that strong, I think, is, shows a really good sign of a very good leader. Um, and 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 it's about them now. It, it's not really about what's gone on in terms of off the pitch stuff, they've got to be able to probably use this in in a way that'll drive them forward, but unify them too. And if they can unify them then, then I think we've seen over the years that in in any sport, a team with a unity, a good culture in terms of being able to bind together, you know, can be very dangerous on the pitch. And and anything that they lack in terms of skill development or fitness or anything like that. That you can actually kind of mask that by that unity and that sense of togetherness and i really hope that that tomorrow that's what they're looking for that's what they're going to they're going to go with go with that chip on your shoulder um it's us against the world type of mentality and um and hopefully we get a good performance
1: like you know lots of these players and and just noticing all the tweets and things coming out lots of support for for clean and maloney as we said what's your sense of what's going on with the squad that because it feels on the outside like listen they've actually had enough now and that you know, they're getting their voice heard, I suppose. Yeah,
3: look, I think it's great. I think you've got to admire that. You've got to admire that they're all, I think it's important that they're all on the same page. It's going to be for them as as a whole group to be able to go forward. I also think that this is probably now um, a real low ebb of women's rugby in Ireland. And if you flip it around, then for me, you know, it, it's a huge opportunity to be able to make change and affect change. And, and I think that, and I hope that that's the reason. That's the way that the RFU are looking at it too, um. But for this squad, I think the unity to get the that together sorry um, and, and their ability to be able to not not use it, but kind of use it in a way to be able to drive a good performance. I think that's the best way to answer it right now. I think they mm. they've done all they can in terms of voicing their displeasure and and making sure that they're together. I just think now they've just got to focus, but. What's on the pitch and and be able to perform.
1: You mentioned the sevens fifteens balance or divide or whether that's balanced at all or is detracting from both forms of the game. What would you actually like to see happen there? I think your suggestion around splitting maybe the role of women's and sevens rugby at a director level makes a lot of sense. But in terms of how the players, I suppose, manage that that balance, how, what would you like to see happen?
3: Yeah, look, I think I think first of all that that remit of a director's women like the. the director of rugby for women's and sevens is a huge dream and I think it's and I've spoken mm-hmm. about this before I'm not sure that it's 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 fair or and a task that's that you can do both jobs really really well I think from this review hopefully that be something that come out of it in relation to the players I think the big thing is that they're just playing rugby and for me you know, there's been a huge chunk of players that just haven't played enough. And I think that was probably case in point in Italy. Um, And you ask then for the players that weren't in Italy that are part of both programmes, well, then surely they should be, you know, competing at Interpros, at AIL and playing 15s or, you know, and sevens it it can it can be done both I think you look at look it's very difficult to do both but if it's managed correctly and I think this is the thing so if you can understand that if a player is able to turn up for a club training session like an academy player does in a men's game you just monitor their load for that day maybe they train with their club that night and then they're available to play on that Saturday you can definitely put minutes in relation to the coaching structure. You can say, "Okay, look, this player is available to you to play with your club, and for thirty minutes." And that happens with with fifteen players coming back into the club rugby. So, um, so I just love to see them playing rugby. And then there's a case of that they, if they're in and out of that national fifteen setup, and they're contracted seven players. Well, they're used to playing 15s rugby, and that's it. It's fair to them. It's not, it's a really difficult task to go and ask a player who plays and trains sevens day in, day out, week in, week out to put on an international 15s jersey and expect them to excel. And I think that that's probably just unfair on that player. It's unfair on that group. And I don't think it's a case of, oh, it's a them versus us. I just think it's a case of we have a, rugby player that's a professional in every sense because they get to train during the day. They're working on those core skills, but then they don't get to put it into match practice or match intensity in a 15s game. And stuff like those AIL club games could be really good for that. Um, that's what I'd like to see going through in the, in the future, just being able to manage it. And, I, and I'm very aware that you know they have maybe six or seven tournaments throughout the year that take them all over the world, but there's definitely pockets of the season that you can release them back into play, to play club. And and to be fair, chatting to most of them, that's what they want to do. You know what I mean? They want to be playing rugby. And I think over that pandemic, see, you know, time when COVID had no games on, you know, those sevens girls filtered into those 15s camps, which is great, I thought. Um, and they thought that it was brilliant and it was what was needed. But once... Things have lifted, you know, they don't go back into that club season. And I just wish I I would love to see seen them in there and, and and then they're getting picked on merit as well.
1: Simple solution, straightforward, and, and it's not rocket science. I, I like what you're what you're saying here. Hopefully we can see those shifts happening at a structural level. But there is a test match tomorrow, as as you mentioned. They're playing the USA at the RDS, 715 on the RT player. Team was uh, named yesterday with Emer Consaline moving to thirteen, an interesting one. Anna K plus is back at eight. Elsa Hughes at nine. Lots of different moving parts there. What are your kind of overall thoughts on this selection?
3: Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a good selection. To be fair, obviously, um, you know, it's probably a couple of players that were disappointed to miss out, but I'm sure they'll get game time the following week. I think. To be fair, to Adam, he's probably just decided, okay, let's just give everybody a run out here and, and try and expose these girls as much international rugby as we can um, but also gives them an opportunity too and I get it that um, they get to probably put a little bit of that hurt into a performance and try and put it back you know put it away from their minds it's interesting to hear them speak still about it they talk a lot about grief um, and horrendous and, and they've got to be able to try and come out of that and to be able to play with the shackles off I think last two games for, for Adam and his coaching ticket, last two games for a couple of players, I'm sure, in terms of that green jersey. So you just love to go and see them be able to play with probably no pressure, abandoned, to be able to go and throw the ball around and and to be able to put some of those demons to bed. I
1: think everyone's excited to see some of the, the players who stood out at inter-provincial level play, someone like Chloe Pierce, hopefully. But Maeve Ogalliri is set for her debut off the bench. Like You know how good she is and how much potential is there um how exciting a prospect is she for Irish rugby
3: oh she's cracking she's just such a brilliant brilliant player brilliant person as well like so hungry for knowledge you can just see her the hamster going in her head throughout training all the time and <laughs> the questions that she asks and you know <clears throat> she's gone away over that pandemic and coming to come back into rugby in unbelievable shape you know she's obviously Shane O'Leary's uh, sister and she took mm. she told me she took a Bit of the Canadian um, SNC program off him and um and um has just become this really explosive powerful um athlete that has this engine that can keep going um so i'm i was, i'm hugely excited for her i think she's got a bucket load of talent and um and look i'm i'm trying to I, i'm obviously bigging her up but we've got to be patient because she's only moved into the back row over the last couple of years she started off as a center um under-18s in Balanacaloo so um, but she's got huge pedigree and she could definitely be someone that you could build a team around for the future Um, really really good and uh, yeah look, what a brilliant opportunity for her to be able to do it at home in front of her family and friends Um, look it's great it's, it's brilliant
1: yeah absolutely it's great to see those kind of players coming through and as I say brilliant that fans will be there hopefully you say, see a really good turnout after the week that it was and everyone talking about women's rugby you want to see people back that up by actually being there at the games what are the US I think they're ranked 6-2 spots above Ireland at the moment a tough old fixture here
3: yeah absolutely and I watched their two games they played Canada twice over the last 10 days um, and they, they they lost both games but to be fair um, you could see that they're it's probably just more ring rusty than I suppose anything else now they're coming in the back of two games Ireland are coming in very cold um so from that aspect, I think it's gonna to be tough. They're they're always incredibly physical. They're very athletic, they're big girls, they're big in terms of their size of sheer strength. I think they, mm-hmm. you know, they have the ability. What they lack though is a little bit of rugby now. And and Ireland have the potential to be able to move that. And if they play with the smarts that they have and trust in their ability, I think then they could definitely cause some and, and stand up to that physical battle. That they're like that's gonna be a big thing. But and so yeah look I think they've obviously got some really good players they've got five or six girls that are playing in the premiership they've sent them over to play this year over in England on the on the back that they don't have a a very good rugby league um over in America and they're and and they're obviously preparing for that World Cup next year so um it'll be a different prospect for 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 Ireland it's it's going to be I'd imagine quite physical I like the look of that pack for for Ireland as you say Disappointed to not see Chloe Pearson there. I think she's mm-hmm. um, been playing really well, not just for for an interpro perspective, but also from a, a club perspective. And um, but in saying that, you know, Lindsay Peets—they're saying that she's going to retire after tomorrow's game. I'm not sure if that's the case. She's way too competitive in my eyes. But um, so you know, you can see then you can make that case why. Um, but um, look, I think Gracey Anna back in there. I like that balance of that back row. Um, I think it's going to be good and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really weird to watch an Irish team without Claire Malloy in it. Um, mm. I think that's probably been the one thing when I looked at it, uh, the team, when it came out yesterday, I was like, oh, just do Malloy. But also, look, these guys are very aware that this is the last couple of games for Adam Griggs, so it's kind of like a trial for what Craig McWilliams is looking at coming in. He's in and around that camp this week, as far as I know, so he's got the ability to be able to watch it and, and, and see the dynamic of how they are not, not on the pitch, but off it as well. Um, so from that aspect, I think that they'll definitely be looking to put their, their best foot forward, but also to do it in a collective driving the hurt I suppose over the last few weeks
1: Mm, they'll hope to start of a new chapter listen it's going to be a brilliant weekend of rugby I know that your coaching hat will be on nerding out on everything and I got to ask you about Ireland All Blacks it's going to be fascinating we've had the teams named All Blacks are looking pretty strong as usual what are you most excited about in this fixture and and what's your sense of where Ireland are 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 they capable of actually going and and beating the All Blacks again
3: yeah hugely I think for me i was just so excited to see how they played against japan i think that mm-hmm. and to be fair i think that's something that they were kind of you know we'd seen a touch of against seeing in the england game against um or in the six nations last year against england i thought they've really carried that on and probably evolved their game plan a little bit more I'm not really buying the fact that, you know, Japan were incredibly poor. I just think that Ireland were so smart. They starved them of any kind of good possession. They didn't turn the ball over um, a huge amount. They didn't allow them time on the ball when they got there. So from that aspect, I thought Ireland were brilliant. The ability to be able to get the ball into those wide channels and to also... um, be able to exploit that that small space it's like you're talking about maybe 15 20 meters and you look up and you could have three defenders in front of you and if you tackle one more you have the ability then to find try and find a soft shoulder knowing that there'll be someone that's able to come onto it I just loved that and I loved the fact that it wasn't just true Johnny Sexton look he had an unbelievable game 100th cap and it was really special for him but there was a huge amount of focus on shifting the ball away from the contact that tight five um were really really good i just want to see more of that and i think that in order for <clears throat> ireland and I, and I have no issue saying this because they've come out and said it that their whole focus now is be building a game plan for that world cup in in two in um two two years time then they've got to be able to go and play tomorrow so look, there definitely will be a little bit more kicking. And they said kicks, I think it was like 28 times, I think, if I mm-hmm. if I read correctly. But it was just the, the manner in which the kicks were there, that were so important um, and and allowed Ireland to be able to put pressure on the Japanese from, from that uh, kick chase. Um, they'll definitely look to do that, I think. Um, but yeah, you've just got to see, see that and, and be able to... Have, hope that they have the courage to go and do something similar. You're not looking at a complete blueprint of what they did last week, but be able to push the boundaries a small bit more because you're not going to beat New Zealand by just kicking penalties. You've got to be able to go and have the the bravery to be able to go for things, go for that touch, the the line 5, 10, 15, 20 metres out. I think Paul O'Connell's influence has been mm-hmm. unbelievable over the last 12, 18 months. And and back your set piece in that regard. Um, but in saying that, like, I... <laughs> Loving The All Blacks I literally I'm yeah. so obsessed With them I watch them Or and I clip things And I, lo- I just love Watching them play Their ability to play From anywhere But they play To their strengths And I think that's What's really important Ireland have started To do the same And they've got to Have the courage To be able to keep doing it Yeah
1: well said You're getting me Even more excited About the big game Here Neve. Listen brilliant stuff Thanks a million as always Thanks
3: very much Thanks for having me Here's Dennis Hickey Hickey, good run by Hickey, Gleeson out there,
0: Bernard Jackman, that's wonderful hands from Leinster, super try from the men in blue, well it was majestic, absolutely majestic, on to Comey, and then Hickey and Gleeson, and it finishing it all
2: on. off was a Bernard Jackman, is delighted the
0: to see the open spaces in front of him,
2: he's quite a try poacher, he was cute enough sitting out in the wing there, he knew the ball would come back to him. Yeah, great
1: to, to get the thoughts of Neve there and it'll be fascinating to see what happens tomorrow night at the RDS but we're going to circle around to where we started with the, the Ireland and All Blacks match, Bernard uh, we still don't have a name team uh, team named actually at this stage which is a little bit later than usual the rumour is that Ian Henderson might be back in there potentially a couple of changes on the bench even maybe Rob Herring pushing but if that is the case do you understand a very settled team like, would it have been very difficult to, to mix things up this week?
0: Yeah, it would have been, and um, you know the rumor is that Henderson starts and Herring comes on to the to the bench in place of Dan Sheen. Which you look, I I I can totally see the logic in it. I think we need to have that confidence we got from last week, that match practice, um, and also you know Henderson is a is a quality performer as well, and uh, I, you know I think we need to be able to match up power wise to to um, the All Blacks and what we might lose in a bit of mobility we, we get in terms of power uh, so I, I have absolutely no issue with that I'm just yeah I just can't wait for it to be honest um, I think um, we'll know a hell of a lot more and I don't think it matters if we win I actually think we can win um, but if we can go toe to toe with New Zealand that'll be you know since since England that'll be uh, yeah, I would say five good performances in, in a row and you know, that's where we want to be we want to start showing some consistency mm
1: prediction time boys
2: uh Ciarán, what are you thinking um <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah god um look I, I think it's going to be really difficult to step up for Ireland like New Zealand it is the end of a long tour for them they maybe are a bit tired and all that they want to get back to their families but at least they've got a lot of matches under their belt and they've got that kind of familiarity there like Ireland have played a Japan team who you know, didn't give them the challenge that they would have wanted for as good as Ireland were last week and this is just such a serious step up and given the amount of players in that team who haven't played New Zealand before and haven't played a kind of high intensity test match against the Southern Hemisphere before it's just so hard to know what to expect I think if Ireland could keep New Zealand to within kind of 10 to 12 points and show some signs of that same attacking intent that we saw last week and you know a bit of cohesion in defence. Players like James Lowe showing that they've improved from the Six Nations. I think that'd be a good day for Ireland. Um, I think it would be a huge ask for them to win. I don't think it's impossible, but I think if they could keep New Zealand's ten points and you know build on some of the things we saw last week against a much more intense challenge, I think that'd be a good day for Andy Farrell. Bernard,
0: I'd I'd love if we could keep them to ten points. I think if we keep them to ten points, we we <laughs> we win. Um, I'm gonna go Ireland. Twenty-four, New Zealand 21
1: Nice You got a sense That this is the The third occasion
0: I hope so uh, I, I think there's There's a great opportunity As I said I, I don't I think they're They're dying to get home um, And I, I just think the players Will respond to the Viva Stadium Full house And it'll get them to a level That they haven't been to For a while mm.
1: It's going to be a great weekend of rugby just very briefly Italy are playing Argentina You've got Scotland Versus South Africa On Saturday as well You've got England versus Australia on Saturday evening, and Bernard, we saw the team news just now. Uh, Manu Tuilagi is starting on the wing. He looks he, do, he does look slim down at the moment. Are you excited about that selection?
0: Yeah, I am because I think the quality of ball he could get from, from Marcus Smith at ten, you know, Farrell at twelve, and Henry Slade at thirteen. I, I I think he will be put into space, and he's just a phenomenal player. And look at you just got to try and get him into the team, and and I think if you play him at thirteen, it changes how England look like they want to play. Eddie Jones is. Evolving uh, their game plan, he reckons he's figured out where the game is going to be in two years' time. So he's working towards that. But you couldn't very hard to leave Manor laggy out. So um, Jesse Creel played wing for the box. Um, I, I think I think uh, laggy could be a little bit more impactful there. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it.
1: We need Bondiaki on the on the wing for Ireland. Maybe one for the future. Bernard, thanks as always. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Kieran. Nice no, so Thanks. Appreciate everyone listening in. We're going to be back on Monday with the Members Podcast with Owen Tool and loads of in-depth analysis. And we're going to be joined by Kurt McQuilkin, the former Leinster assistant coach. He's going to be finding his analysis on the game from, from New Zealand. So fascinated to hear what he has to say. We'll catch you then. If you're a member, it's on members.the42.e if you want to join us. Otherwise, we'll be back next Thursday. So have a great weekend. Here we go. The world champions in town, Ireland, and Devon Toner. Brilliant first touch for him. And again, Ireland getting up quickly, putting pressure on New Zealand. Here for Sexton, in behind Dracky. They switch the point of attack to the left outside. side. Stockdale, that chip works out. That chip works really well. Stockdale for Ireland.
2: Jacob Stockdale!
1: Here, a pin
2: drop. Sex it, knocks it over. Yeah.
1: So, one more twist in this game. The ball over the top on the outside. Chance yeah. for Ben Smith, one Three, on one. Two, 80 two, minutes are gone. No room for
0: error for New Zealand. Metallic. Scrapping and fighting New Zealand. To the very end, Ireland tackling for their lives here. Barrett, missed pass to Reid.
1: Goes to ground. chart this time. One mistake and it's all over. Barrett, no room to move, goes back inside. Skips away from the first hit of Jack McGrath. Ball in the deck.
2: Base coming off.